This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to our Thursday, September 5th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And there's been a lot of news in the markets lately yield curve inversions, trade disputes. We now have a hurricane uh, here on the East Coast. And through it all, the market has continued to just demonstrate a lot of volatility, a lot of backing and filling, a lot of ups and downs. And today we actually broke uh, kind of out a little bit to the upside of a recent trading range. And I'll tell you a little bit later on how to kind of process that, but that's where we are. And there's a lot of variables at play and you are here for unbiased guidance. So that's what I am going to give you on today's show. I'm Justin Klein. I hope you will call me with your investing and finance related questions. And when and if you make that call, you shape this show to your particular advantage. And each day on Invest Talk, we do our best to help you take that next step in your own version of financial freedom. We do that with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. This is not CNBC. We're not going to be ringing bells. I'm not Kramer. I am here to just give you information, give you hopefully a balanced view as much as I possibly can. And open your mind to different possibilities because that's ultimately where the market is going. It's going in a, probably a different way than you're thinking. And it might be just slightly different or it could be dramatically so. Okay. So we're going to give you the perspective, both sides of it, as best as we possibly can on today's show. And you can give us a call live at 888-99-CHART, or you can call after hours, leave your message, and we'll answer it on the next show. Now, here's a quick word about an upcoming KPP Wealth Management Conference. The name says it all. Earning yield in a no-yield world, investing in real estate, stocks, and bonds for income, which, uh, you know, in it relates directly with our talking point today, and that is of a statement from Alan Greenspan basically saying we're going to be going into negative rates here in the United States. That's what Greenspan says. I'm not sure if I completely agree with it, but I definitely don't rule it out. That's for sure. But our next wealth conference is going to be coming up on October 12th. So a little over a month away at our Irvine, California office. Steve and I will lead the conference. We'll be joined by real estate investing expert Chevy Axon and Larry Roberts. Uh, Chevy was on the show last week. Larry is the writer of the OC Housing blog. Uh, we're going to have a trust attorney there as well to touch on some t- topics. So it's really going to be a diverse set uh, of experts that I think is going to help everybody who attends. And we only have 50 slots, so that's how big the room it is, how many seats there are. So if you want to register, just go to investtalk.com, hit the Invest Talk tab, and go down to conferences, and you'll see the place where you can register. So call, text your friends, family, let them know about this important opportunity. And now my main talking point today, like I said, concerns a prediction that it's only a matter of time before negative rates spread to the United States. That is what Chairman Alan Greenspan said. And he is really the first 
of the along line now, uh, you know, you have Bernanke and you have Yellen. Now you have uh, uh, Jerome Powell and all of them were fairly dovish in, in their own way. Uh, they all were about lowering rates, keeping uh, rates low to stimulate the economy. And that was their main driver of stimulating activity, stimulating borrowing, stimulating lending, stimulating asset prices higher. They all espoused the tool of lowering interest rates. So it's not a shock that Alan Greenspan says that the world has changed a lot in 32 years, but he sees the negative rate phenomenon that we've seen worldwide with about $16 trillion now in negative yielding assets. He sees that appearing here on shore. So we're going to talk about that, what assets will thrive in that type of environment and what lessons can be learned from other areas of the world that now have negative rates as well. So we're going to touch on that today, but I have some other topics as well. I want to talk about the best interest provision that has been passed by the SEC. And I heard, I had a lot of questions early on about whether this was a good rule, a good bill or not. Is it actually going to solve the problem within the brokerage industry and bad actors within the insurance industry, et cetera, that simply creates a lot of conflicts of interest. And this was a rule that was supposed to solve it. And I'm going to talk about what I think it actually did, okay, or is actually going to do because it's not fully implemented until next year. But we know the details, so we can talk a little bit more about that. So we're gonna we're gonna touch on that. Also, money is a very tough topic to talk about with other people, whether that's a spouse, whether that's a, a child, whether that is other members of your family or friends who are involved with money that you have or businesses that you have or assets of some kind, though these are tough conversations to have. So I want to talk about how to prepare for conversations like this and make them productive as opposed to divisive. And then lastly, retail credit cards. There are pros and there are cons. I'm talking about the credit cards that you get from department stores, etc., and they can be good for some people and they can be bad. And if we have time, I'm going to touch on what that means for all types of lenders. So that's what I plan for today's show. But first, let's grab a quick question from our anytime listener line at 888 chart Hi, Stephen Justin. My question is actually really straightforward and super short. All it is is what's the difference between an index fund and an ETF? I know they both basically just buy shares of multiple companies. And the only difference I can find is that ETFs are traded all day long, just like any other regular stock and index funds are priced at the end of the day. Otherwise, I can't find any differences, and I'm just looking. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. All right, great question. And the simple answer is they can be the same thing oftentimes. Sometimes they're not. Now, an index fund is simply any type of fund that follows a particular index, okay? And what an index is is just a a collection of stocks, right? S&P 500 index. It's these 500 stocks and they have uh, a certain percentage based on market cap, etc. You have the Dow, Russell, there's hundreds of different types of indexes, okay? And an index fund can be a mutual fund index fund 
or it could be an ETF mutual fund. There are other types of structures, right? And an ETF is just a fund structure. It's not an actual really investment vehicle, I guess you could say. Well, I guess it is an investment vehicle, kind of like a mutual fund. But it, it just saying I bought an ETF, it doesn't mean anything, right? That's like saying I opened an IRA. Well, it's a type of account, right? Just like an ETF is a type of fund, but it doesn't tell me at all what is in that fund, right? Exchange traded fund, ETF, okay? Now it could be, now an ETF, you could, there are now actively managed ETFs where it's not an index. There was a manager, a management team behind it, picking and choosing the assets within that particular ETF. Now, still the vast majority of ETFs are index funds, but ETFs can contain anything, just like an IRA basically contains anything. Okay, so you're looking, you're kind of comparing apples and oranges, right? Apples and an orange, they're both fruit, but they're two different things, okay? So I hope that makes kind of sense uh, in, in that way. So an index fund can can mean a lot of things, whereas an, e, an ETF can mean a lot of things as well, but an index fund is always passive, right? It's just some sort of passive following an index, but it could be housed as uh, a separately managed account. It could be a mutual fund, a closed-end mutual fund, an open-end mutual fund, uh, uh, an ETF, a closed-end fund, etc. So make sure you're understanding the, the differences and know that you're kind of comparing apples to oranges. They're similar in some ways, and they're not in a lot of ways as well. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I want to thank you for making this program a part of your routine. Steve and I do our best to make it interesting and instructive for you each and every weekday. And whenever you have an investment question, I encourage you to explore our podcast library. So search, listen, subscribe, and then rate and review the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. The long summer of 2019 has ended. We are into the first trading week of September, and the big question now is, which way will the market go? You need unbiased investing guidance, and Justin Klein is here taking your questions live. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Tim in Palo Alto, he's looking at MDP, Meredith Corporation. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Jason. I traded no this uh, stock before um, and I got out of it. Uh, and then now I'm interested in it again. I like it because uh, they withered the storm of uh, digital publication and going into digital publication. And, and they uh, raised their dividends through for a very long time through the uh, past recession, and they're still doing so. And I think the market overreacted today because I think they uh, they forecasted lower than expectations. Uh, so I'm wondering if it's uh -huh. time to pick it up. Well, it's definitely not expensive at these levels. I'll say that. Um, you know, it's a market cap about a billion and a half, and they do revenue of roughly three billion dollars a year, a little bit more. 
Uh, so from a price of sales, is that half, uh, you know, 0.5% uh, from a market cap to sales ratio. This is an area that is, is having trouble, right? That just for everybody else, Meredith Corporation. This is Martha Stewart, uh, basically living, correct? Yeah. So they, they operate. Yeah, they they have a lot of different brands. They have uh, Every Day with Rachel Ray, Better Homes, Gar Homes and Garden, Family Fun, Parents Magazine. This is it's a, it's a publisher, right? And they do on, they have online publishing. They have obviously print publishing, and clearly this is a, an area of the the media world that is struggling, uh, especially with the rise of, of video and TV uh, everywhere more people are turning to video and getting their information versus picking up a magazine, whether that's in digital form or physical form. And clearly that's hurting, hurting their business. Uh, the, the transition to digital advertising as well certainly is going to be hurting their business. Uh, I can see, and, and that's obviously what's happening. Did they tell, did you watch the conference call and could they tell you why exactly this is happening? Why they downgraded their expectations? No. Okay. Well, I would dig into that a little bit and really understand, is that something that is secular, that is going to be a continued problem, or maybe it's a one-off issue? Uh, they certainly have a lot of debt. And based on their earnings, their dividend is dividend payout ratio is relatively high. Pay ratio is 211%. Cash dividend pay ratio is 95%. So I wouldn't say that dividend is safe with such a high payout ratio as well as with a high level of debt. So that worries me as well. Their free cash flow is still positive last quarter, about $81 million. And that, that's, I like that about it. Now, from a technical perspective, I'm going to give you some levels of where I think this is likely going. Uh, Marino, right now is at some pretty strong support. $33, $34, this area is good longer term support. But if it breaks this, I could see this easily going back down to its 09 lows in the low teens. And that would be, that would worry me. So I like it from a value perspective. I want to understand why it was downgraded and I keep a tight stop on it because it needs to hold this level uh, for a long term hold. Thanks for the call. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart. Here's a quick reminder, Steve Peasley's in-person portfolio review consultations for New York City in September are fully booked. But Steve will return to New York on November 7th and San Jose October 10th. You can learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Steve and Justin are always ready with answers to your investment questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Eight eight ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. Now let's take a quick look at some key benchmark numbers for today. The two-year Treasury yield was up a little bit to one point five four percent, and the ten-year was also up to ten to one point five six percent. Actually, one point five six five, to be exact, the close today. Uh, so we have an upward sloping yield curve, but only by a couple basis points. 
Gold is down. Gold was down a little bit on really positive economic news. That's really what it was about. You know, we had poor economic news from the manufacturing front. Was that yesterday, the day before? And today was a lot of non-manufacturing data, meaning service sector, home sector, etc. And that was actually better than expected. And that pushed down the value of gold and up the interest rates. Uh, an expectation or less expectation of extreme easing from the Federal Reserve uh, this month and going forward. Now, tomorrow we have the jobs number and that could obviously change. But for today, that was really what it was. Risk on, gold down, yields up, market up as well. Oil was up $56.80 a barrel. Decent uptick on more optimism that there will be trade resolution and at least that's the story i think it has more to do with the economic numbers you're going to see the headlines of oh this is uh the market was up because we're gonna the u.s is going to meet with china in early october to work on a trade deal and to me that's it's a really a non-event uh, you know we we know the market should know that we're going to continue to talk to china <laughs> at some point there's going to be another meeting and frankly it's not like they're meeting next week the meeting next month. So it's still another month of all of these tariffs continuing for the foreseeable future until we get some resolution. And so I think it's bunk when the media says that this market was up because of the potential trade talks. It was really about the economic data. Now, 30-year mortgage rate was at 3.49%, almost a full point. 0.1%, sorry, uh, lower than last week. The service sector has expanded 56.4%. Like I said, ISM numbers show the factory orders were up 1.4% versus last month. So after poor shrinking ISM purchasing managers index uh, yesterday, the day before, you see a little bit better on the, uh, the service side of the ledger. 90% of the market expects a 25 basis point cut from the Fed. And that's what I, I think we're going to get this this month. We're going to get a quarter point. The Remember, the Fed has bullets. They've raised rates for a couple of years to get bullets back in their holster when the economy weakens in order to try to keep the expansion going. And they're now trying to use those bullets. But they're very limited, right? You got to two and quarter to two and a half. So you have maybe 10 bullets. They just used one. They don't want to use two bullets in one go unless they really have to. And with the market where it's at, I just see them lowering one basis point or one uh, quarter point this month. Let's go to John in Santa Cruz. He's looking at GDX, the gold mining index. Hi, Justin. Um, uh what I'm looking at is I, I buy, I'm trying to buy specific silver stocks. I already have some positions, but basically mm -hmm. they follow the GDX um, to a more you know volatile yeah. level. And the GDX, as you know, has ranged from about 17 to 30, and it went down a little bit today. Um, at what point? You know, I'm trying to buy on weakness, but not just one day. So at what point, if you're looking at the GDX, where would you go? You know, buy more shares and go back in. At what point? You know, well, like I look at can, I look at some some major candlestick uh, reversals uh, and look for those levels as 
as levels that the market is really aggressively buying. And the last one that I see was in the beginning of August, August 1st, actually. The close of July, July 31st, there was a pretty big down day in the GDX. And July or August 1st, it basically reversed that in spades. And that gave birth to a fresh rally in the month of August. And the low on that was at about 26 and change, 26.12. And so the low 26 is, is where I think I would be more aggressive. Now, do I think it's actually going to get there? You know, I think it's it's 50-50. A lot depends on the economic numbers that come out, what happens with the trade war, etc. But that's a level that I'm kind of eyeing to get a little more aggressive. Now, I too uh, am rebalancing client positions, my own positions in my account to a higher level uh, on any pullbacks. But maybe adding positions, for example, I'd probably wait to around that level. You start getting back below 27 into that 26, you know, it might not get this 26.12, might be only 26.32. You don't know exactly, but that is kind of the area that I would expect there to be a lot of support. Also, the 100-day moving average continues to move up. Now it's at $25 and a little over under $25. That's going to continue to move up. So $26, that's a good area that I'd be picking up GDX. Now in tomorrow's Invest Talk, this story, a fear bubble is creating a huge buying opportunity. That is the view of one long-term market bull. Is he right? That story tomorrow. I'm Justin Klein and I invite you to give us a call with your finance and investing questions now at 888-99-CHART. Your typical workday can be very busy. Assignments, appointments, responsibilities, obligations. Sometimes you start early and end late. For that reason alone, you may already be looking to the future, to a period when your money, your accumulated assets are working for you and ultimately creating financial freedom. There are many voices suggesting financial planning services, but there's one company, one firm, that offers a balanced variety of strategically designed investment plans. One firm that applies decades of experience to enable a client personalized collaboration. One firm that can show you how to optimize an investment portfolio that fits your lifestyle objectives and risk tolerance limitations. One firm that speaks with a clear, logical, and unbiased voice. Start with a contact call to KPP Financial or visit kppfinancial.com. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener, you may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. About 20 minutes and change left in the show. So if you're going to call, do it sooner rather than later. Now, our main talking point today concerns the prediction by former Fed Chair Alan Greenspan that it's only a matter of time before negative rates spread to the United States. And we have this phenomenon happening all over the world in many, many countries from Germany, France, Japan, Belgium, all have 10-year sovereign bonds 
trading with negative yields. And he's basically saying that with an aging population driving demand for bonds, this will push yields lower. And I agree with him in some senses, but I don't think it's really going to be because of some sort of demand for, for yields, to be honest with you. Because, hey, if yields are, it's not like you're getting great yield from these things. It's not like you're financing your retirement with these investments, okay? And the buyers of sovereign debt are far more the likes of banks and insurance companies than individuals that are trying to get yield from a safe bond. I think those people are more likely to go buy high-grade corporate bonds than a treasury yielding 1% or less, right? So I don't think that it's an aging population like Greenspan said. It's going to be policy of central banks pushing down rates, doing QE, just like they did it done in Europe, just like they've done in Japan. So I don't necessarily agree with his reasoning of why there's going to be negative yields because it's not why there's negative yields in other places. Now, what are the effects? What are the effects if we do have negative yields? Well, in Japan, one of the best-selling items for the home is a safe, right? Because if yields are negative, it's going to cost you money to put your money into the bank. What else tends to go up besides the demand for Safes, well, gold. And that's another reason why you're seeing gold go up so dramatically and why I think it is the start of a longer-term bull market in gold. It's going to be volatility, but likely a longer-term bull market. Why? Because the carrying cost to carry a zero-yielding asset like gold is much lower. In fact... It's cheaper in a negative yielding environment to hold gold than it is to hold deposits in a bank or a bond, for example. And so that is a big reason why gold has continued to be so strong in this type of environment. So while I do agree that there's a good chance negative yields will come to the United States, I don't think it will be because of an aging population, like Greenspan said, I think it'll be policy. And the big question is, when will central banks, when will governments wake up and say, hey, this isn't working, right? The, the QE negative rates in Europe hasn't spurned their, hasn't got given their economy some big jolt out of the doldrums. Eh, it helped minor, minorly in, in a short, for a short period of time, but it didn't do anything dramatic. And that's why you've seen uh, Christine Lagarde, who's the new head of the ECB, talk about that governments are need are, are going to be the need to be the ones to stimulate the economy with infrastructure spending. 
And so just my question here in the United States is, do we come to that realization as well before we get to negative rates? Is that what the next policy prescription is going to be from policymakers? And when I say policymakers, that it's not just politicians, but also the Federal Reserve, right? Because they're setting monetary policy. The government sets fiscal policy. And I do think that the next phase is going to be fiscal. But the problem is with so much debt in the world, and when I say debt, I mean sovereign debt from various countries, there's going to need to be a coordinated effort. That's why you talk here, MMT. MMT is a coordinated effort between the Fed, central banks, and governments. And so maybe negative rates is in conjunction with some sort of fiscal policy tool. I think it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Now let's go to Haresh in Santa Clara. He wants to talk about negative yields. Haresh? Hey, Justin. Thanks for taking your phone. How you doing? Yeah, no problem. Good. Um, the, the question I have is about the topic you're talking now. Uh, so can you elaborate mm-hmm. a little more on the negative yields? Like uh, say you're saying that it costs money to put your money in the bank. In a, in a sense... That theoretically it sounds okay, but practically who would actually buy a negative yielding bond or negative yielding savings account? Would that even practically happen? Well, great question. Uh, well, th- the answer simply are banks. <laughs> uh, and that's one of the reasons why you see Deutsche Bank and all of these European banks having so much trouble is because they need to hold a certain percent of their, of their assets in safe assets and basically meaning sovereign debt. Uh, And so based on requirements from regulation, they need to be holding these sovereign bonds and they need to buy them really at any price. And when central banks push those yields so low based on their policy and pushed rates negative, well, they're forcing these negative rates on banks. And eventually... They need to force those negative rates on you, the depositor. Now, here in the United States, we have the same issue. Um, about $200 billion of the treasury issuance so far this year has been bought by three players. Bank of America, Chase, and Wells Fargo. So we do the same thing with our banks. We, they have to buy treasuries and they have to keep a certain percentage of their assets in treasuries. So those are typically the buyers of these treasuries. Now it can also be speculators, right? Speculators saying, oh, well, yields are negative 50 basis points. Well, I think the, the Fed's going to, or the, the ECB is going to move their policy rate to negative 100 basis points. So I'm going to front run that expectation. So that happens as well. So those are the buyers, uh, shall I say. And so does that make sense? Yeah, just makes sense, yes. Yeah. So that's, I know it doesn't really make a lot of sense from a, a practical standpoint, um, but a lot of times you have to think about what players have to do, not what makes rational sense. 
right? Somebody puts a gun to your head and says, you need to give them $10,000 and you have $10,000. What are you going to do? You're going to give them $10,000 because you have a gun to your head. That's what you have to do. You don't want to do it. You don't want to give away $10,000, but sometimes you have a gun to your head and that's what these central banks have done to a lot of these banks, both from a policy standpoint as well as a regulatory standpoint. Thanks for the call, Harish. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk, And so obviously you understand the importance of unbiased guidance. That's why you're here. And I encourage you to subscribe to our KPP Financial Premium Newsletter. It's written and distributed every Friday. And in the newsletter, you get valuable information, information such as the week's market analysis, portfolio management guidance, as well as stock ideas. And each Friday on Invest Talk, Steve shares highlights of the KPP Premium Newsletter. You can subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. And now I'm ready to take your questions live at 8899 chart. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. For serious investors interested in improving their ability to build financial freedom, we have an important invitation to a new KPP Wealth Management Conference. Earning yield in a no-yield world. Investing in real estate, stocks, and bonds. Speakers will include Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, and they'll be joined by real estate experts and a trust attorney. The October 12th conference in Irvine, California, will cover these topics understanding real estate investing, from buy and hold to vacation rentals and land banking, how the trade war and economic trends will affect stocks and bonds ways to increase your income potential and defer taxes using trusts, and a lot more. Seating is limited to 50 attendees. Sign up early to get reduced pricing. Tell your friends the newest KPP Financial Wealth Management Conference is set for October 12th. Learn more and sign up now at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve and Justin. It's Carlos from Los Angeles. Just have a quick question on what you guys think about SHOP, Shopify. And I had uh, another question for Justin. I was just wondering if he'll ever bring back the YouTube live stream. I really enjoyed those streams that he had, and I would always go back and watch them. I was wondering if he'll bring them back on the YouTube live stream. Thank you. All right, great question. I'll uh, I'll address the second one first. I moved to a new a new location. I was in Newport Beach. Now I'm in Laguna Beach. Uh, just really haven't set up that live stream, and uh, it's a lot to kind of uh, manage as I'm doing the show. Let's just say that. Um, so uh, I'm not ruling it out, but uh, I I haven't really planned to set it up uh, anytime soon. Um, but it could definitely come back uh, if I find a solution to kind of one issue that I had. So uh, don't rule it out, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, soon. Uh, now let's talk about Shopify. S-H-O-P is the symbol. And I know a decent amount about Spotify. I have a, a good friend who uh, is going to be one of the, the first uh, distributing centers for Shopify. Basically what Shopify does is a platform kind of like kind of like a WordPress in a lot of ways, but it's uh its systems are are integrated into uh 
processing payments, credit card payments, and you build your retail website on their platform. Uh, and there's a lot of efficiencies. It's very good. It's probably one of the best platforms out there for launching a new retail site. This is a company that has grown dramatically, dramatically over the past few years. Sales growth is slowing. A year, two years ago, it was going about 72%. Last quarter, only about 48%. So you're seeing a slowing in growth, but earnings continue to go up. Now they were losing money 2012 through 2016. And this year they're gonna make 61 cents, next year 91 cents, but it's about a $400 stock. So it's very, very expensive based on their earnings. Now they don't have any debt, I love that. Uh, but to me, it's just too expensive. Now it's been expensive for a while and that can continue to happen. I love the company. I think they have a great ecosystem and that ecosystem locks you in in a lot of ways. And I think that's great. But at a $44 billion market cap doing about 1.2 billion in sales, I mean, a 35 to 40 billion, 35 to 40 times sales is just extremely rich in my book. I mean, 20s rich. Um, so it's on my watch list and it has great momentum. The technicals are, I don't want to say flawless, but they're very good. You did have recent MACD crossovers. There's some negative aspects to it, but in general, that this is in a strong uptrend, a very good business, but it's just extremely expensive based on the current numbers. Now, it could continue to grow at 50% revenue quarter over quarter, you know, year over year, and it'll grow into that valuation over the next decade. But this is a name that, you know, you have one poor earnings announcement, it's going to drop 20%. So it's absolutely on my watch list. I would like to buy it around 20 times sales. That's when I would think it would be reasonable based on uh, the strength of its platform. Uh, I like that it's on your watch list. It's absolutely on my watch list, but I wouldn't buy it here at these valuations simply because it's just extremely rich. Now, Apple just sold $7 billion in bonds, and here's the story. They're borrowing $7 million to its first new bond sale in two years. Even though they have $200 billion in cash reserves sitting on their balance sheet, they took advantage of a corporate tax break to repatriate some of the cash trapped overseas and have been steadily spending money on stock buybacks. These This is reduced the number of Apple shares in circulation and boost earnings over time. Also reducing the number of shares in which the company has to pay a dividend, right? Those dividends aren't out there, outstanding. Uh, or sorry, those shares aren't there, outstanding. You don't have to pay a dividend to them. You don't have to pay a dividend to yourself. So Apple has spent $122 billion on stock buybacks over the past 18 months, including $17 billion in the last quarter. And they're going to use some more of this borrowing to buy back stock. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here, and that's to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your question in now at 888 chart On the next Invest Talk, a fear bubble is creating a huge buying opportunity. That's the view of one longtime market bull. But is he right? That story tomorrow. 
And now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, but he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen, Justin, this is Ron in San Diego. Love the show. Thanks for everything you guys do. Just wanted to run a trade past you. I'm looking at Square. Uh, closed today at 64.37, right at long-term support. Saw it gap down back at the beginning of August. I know a lot of people are moving to the Square app. Uh, see it in so many businesses around town. So just wanted to get your opinion on a trade. Looking for a 12-week swing trade back up to around the $80 level. I uh, would love to get your you guys' thoughts. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right. Well, since you're just looking for a trade, I'm not going to talk much about the business at all because you're looking at something very short term. And uh, you are correct. This has traded down into the support level around the $60 level. And you're looking for a rally. I forgot what for price you said. I can see this rallying into back into the high 60s. We're at 63 spot 02 today. And that's where I'd probably take my profits right around the $68, $69 level and out of stop around 60, which is the, the low from the uh, June, June 3rd, that low was $59.89. So any close below that on a daily basis and a confirmation the next day, I would absolutely be out of it. Uh, I do agree that Square is, has been a first, mo- first mover in mobile payments to credit cards, right, and the whole systems and making it sleek and simple and using iPads and iPhones as the point of sale systems and using apps on those devices. And that's great. Um, My biggest issue longer term is that other companies are simply going to copy that model. And they have a first mover with a lot of install base. But as time goes on, I think there's going to be more and more competition. So I don't love the business long term. And even with such a first mover advantage, they haven't really been able to translate that into great profits. And so that's what worries me most about Square. But from a technical basis, I do think it could rally. um, But it is relatively weak, especially considering where the market is. Um, So I don't love it as a trade, but if I was to make it a trade, that's what I would do. 59.89, close below that. I'm out and trade it up into the high 60s. Thanks for the call. That was SQ Square is the name. Now let's talk quickly about the regulation, best interest regulation from the SEC. And I get a lot of questions about it and Did it solve the problems in the industry? Did it solve the conflict of interest in the industry? And the simple answer, and I think the obvious clear answer, is that no, it did not in any way, shape, or form. All it did was simply keep the rules basically in place and saying, you need to give more disclosure. Well, guess what? What percentage of people actually read the disclosure. And even if you do read the disclosure, do you really understand it? How many contracts have you ever read that you really understand? Very, very few. And so this is not going to protect investors. And this was simply a lobbying lobbying effort from broker-dealer lobbyists, insurance company lobbyists, and they're trying to protect their revenue. And their revenue comes from those who are not fiduciaries, non-fiduciaries, talk about registered representatives, you're talking about a broker, insurance agents. Those are typically where 
those are, those are the, where these products are sold, right? Annuities, loaded mutual funds, retirement plans with big embedded fees. And that is, that business model has inherent conflicts of interest that must be maintained if that business model is to be maintained. So this model flies in the face of the this regulation of best interest called Reg BI. Now it's going to go into effect on June 30th of next year. But in a nutshell, non-fiduciaries can never truly place their interests of the customers ahead of their own. It's incompatible with the spirit of it being a fiduciary. So it's kind of like trying to fit a peg into a round hole. So it's sad, but at the end, lobbyist won once again, and you, the investor, simply gets an extra set of disclosures that you're probably not going to read. I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program. I thank you for your loyal support and questions. I return on Monday, but please come back tomorrow. Steve will be here with highlights from the latest KPP Premium newsletter. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART.